Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And hey, it's football camp. The days bleed together. We don't know what day it is. We're doing a mailbag. We understand it's not Wednesday. Please don't get upset at us. We're well, just Matt, well, <laughs> mailbag Monday sounds better from a words perspective. It's like actual alliteration. So maybe we're onto something. Maybe we're onto something. Maybe we stumbled into something. Sometimes a, a blind squirrel finds a nut. We'll, we'll see. But we don't know what day it is. We're in the middle of fall camp. And we just said, you know what? We haven't done a mailbag in a while. We don't want to wait until Wednesday because, quite honestly, we're planning out our, our podcast schedule. And we've got something that we have to talk about on Wednesday that's not a mailbag. So we're all over the place. But nonetheless, welcome to the Duck Territory Ots and Audible's podcast. Uh, it's been a while since we've done a mailbag. It's been a while since Eric and I have done a mailbag together, but we're here. We've got a whole bunch of questions. We're in the middle of fall camp. It's an exciting time. Let's well, go. I, I can't tell you how excited it's been. Just just a quick just reaction to being out at fall camp. I know we did one after Friday's practice, but we've now been at a couple practices. Um, we were not able to check out Monday's practice. They did hold practice. Media was not allowed at that one. Um, but when you're, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, we might be reading more practice report information because we've been out there again. But it's been just really fun. Just watching football, man, watching football drills, especially a team like this with so much talent and so many storylines. Um, it's just you kind of get lost out there sometimes just walking around going, oh, man, this is this is going to be a really fun team. And certainly a lot of uh, a lot of I think we know a lot more about this team, at least in general right now. Some seri- obviously only a couple practices in. So there's a lot of things we don't know, but I, I feel better in general about just like my understanding of this team and the way it works. Just two days in, it, it's just night and day, the ability to properly cover a team. And look, I'm not trying to be upset at Oregon at all for last year. Like it, it was, They were trying to play football in a pandemic, and they had to take any measure that was possible to prevent them from being exposed. And, and I get it. I would have done the same thing. Mita should not have been in uh, to practice uh, if, if they were really concerned about the spread of COVID. And you just eliminate the possibilities of stuff, but they've got us in now. And it's just, it's night and day to what we know, what we learn, what we see about a program when we're able to actually observe them in practice. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, That's not what the podcast is here for. We've got questions about what we've seen in practice and let's get into those. Yeah. Most of these questions are specifically about at least the first half of the show is going to be specifically observations from camp. Um, based upon questions from our listeners. The first being from at Prince Puddles. From fall camp, what players have made the biggest change slash jump physically? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Thank you for using the hashtag. I think we've got 83% success rate in questions we've used using the hashtag. So that's five out of six for those that aren't great at math. Um, not that I'm really good, but uh, was able to do some quick mental math. So that's an awesome rate. Keep doing that. It makes it easier for me to find the questions. Now to Prince's question here, we did a little bit of this on Friday's show, but we've had more time now, I think, to, to kind of ingest some of what we see out there and, and kind of reflect on it. For me, the two names that jumped out right away, and I don't know if it's biggest jump or just impressed me the most, are Oregon's inside linebackers, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. And I'll even include Mace Funa in there because I think he's leaned out a little bit. Maybe that's one of those big physical improvement jumps, changes guys. But the other two guys just are, are 
I mean, it's unlike anything we've seen from Oregon linebackers. It really is. And Oregon's had good linebackers in the past. You can look at a Troy Dye a couple of years ago who came in and was immediately impactful. Physically, he looks nothing like what Noah Sewell and Justin Flo look like. I mean, go, there's about, I think, 15 seconds into Tim DeRuder's interview on Saturday morning. Uh, you, you look up and right behind him is, is Justin, <laughs> a shirtless Justin Flo flexing. And he has muscles in spots where I didn't know you could have muscles. Certainly places I don't have muscles. Um, you don't have those? I, I, I've got the base muscles. The, the, <laughs> got, I don't have any of the, the, the add-on muscles, Matt. And I think, I think Justin and maybe the whole Flow family has invested in the, 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 the add-on muscles because I don't have any of those. Um, and it, so, I mean, but just like those two guys, I think when you talk about who impresses you the most physically, those are the guys that jump to my mind first, um, you know, and then the guys that maybe, and I'll throw it to Matt in a second, because I don't want to dominate the who, who's impressed your physical, physically, comp, you know, conversation, but um, a couple other guys, I think just the tight ends. And I think we've already talked yeah, about that as those well. Those guys are freaks. Just the fact that you have two kids that enrolled in, in January and, and McChrystal said they were in the two twenties and now they're two fifty to two sixty. I think Ferguson and Matavajo just look incredibly. They're as big, if not bigger than Spencer Webb is. And everyone knows how big Spencer Webb is like, and he's three, four years older than than those two guys, which like I, I'm extremely high on Spencer Webb. Like I, I think Spencer Webb could be Oregon's best tight end on its roster this season. And I think he's a, a scary matchup nightmare from a physical standpoint. But you just look at the other two freshmen, the true freshmen that have shown up and I think especially uh, Matavau, they they are humongous. Like they, when I think of a big tight end that's a true freshman, I think of a guy that's like six five, six six, six four, and probably around two twenty five. And these guys are like you said, two fifty. I mean, they are they are significantly bigger than than what a normal freshman looks like and i think that's pretty par for the course for almost every freshman that's on this football team and i don't mean to pick on anybody because you've actually heard a lot of positive feedback about him but even comparing the body types to patrick herbert to those two like herbert has been here and i'm just a slight digression has it ever been harder to remember how long a player has been on campus than it is now with the extra year because i'm like i think herbert's entering his third year as a freshman but Usually I'd be like, oh, I know exactly what year. There's like first year freshmen, second year freshmen, and third year freshmen on this roster. It's very confusing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's just a Her- Herbert. I-, I heard this rumor. Patrick Herbert is on track to graduate college this coming spring. So he will be going into his sophomore <laughs> year at Oregon in 2022 and will be graduated already. I mean, this is the stuff that gets wild, and there's a bunch of other examples of that. I know that's not the original question, but it, I, I think this week more than any other fall camp, I've because I'm usually on top of like, okay, this is the age of everybody. There, half the team are freshmen, it seems like, and it's hard to parse through. But anyway, many a digression. Um, those two tight ends obviously stood out. I think from a jump perspective, maybe not even from last time we saw them, but I thought both Trey Benson and uh, Byron Cardwell two running backs again, who I'm not even comparing to what we've seen in the past because Benson was hard to really, we never got close to him and because we didn't get to watch practice last year and, and Cardwell just enrolled. Both those guys physically look like they can help right now. 
And considering that running back position needs immediate help with dollars availability. And, and, and another just slight digression, like dollars might actually, it seems like be available sooner than later. We, we see him walking around, uh, not at practice, but before, you know, during practice, before practice, um, when we're out there. And I, you know, I, I don't want to draw too many conclusions from watching a guy walk around, but he's not wearing a boot. He's limping a little bit and physically doesn't look like he's lost a lot in terms of just like the muscle and stuff. So um, maybe some positive dollars news, but I think even more so just you feel better. I think about what Benson looks like and what Cardwell looks like in terms of being muscled up. And even you can throw in seven McGee there as the other running back who I think physically just looks like he can, he could at least play right now if needed. I think some guys to me that really stand out are um, freshman offensive tackle, Paope Alou. Um, this was probably the guy we first saw on Friday. Was that when we first got into practice? The first practice of the, of the camp. Sure was. Um, we saw him walking, and we were just flabbergasted at how just a the dude's already huge. He's like six seven, um, right? <laughs> but he, we didn't know who he was because. The last time that we saw him, he was severely overweight. And while he looked massive and he moved well, it was clear. It's like, wow, this guy is going to be someone that in three or four years is, is going to be a totally different player because he's going to have lost all this bad weight. And it was like a year and a half. I mean, he's, a, he's technically a true freshman on this team because he was part of the 2020 roster. And... He showed up to fall camp last year, was pretty big. We didn't really expect much out of him. And then this offseason, he put in a ton of work. I mean, you can see it. This dude is ginormous, and he's leaned up significantly. Um, I, I think uh, Sala, uh, Almave Lalu, you know, Oregon's starting probably right tackle. I think he is night and day from what he looked like last season. Um, and, and he wasn't a guy that was, uh, really overweight already. Like he's improved his body and he was already in a good place. I think from a weight perspective, um, I think it should be noted. Kayvon Thibodeau looks like he's done a lot of work in the weight room. Like he is significantly bigger this year than he was the previous season. Um, I, I think Johnny Johnson is a guy that always kind of flashes when, when you look at, you know, the body types at Oregon, um, guys that they have. Steve Stevens, I think he's another one at safety, probably the front runner to start at that position. Um, it really feels like he's put himself uh, in a good spot physically from what he's done in the offseason weight room program and, and whatnot. So, you know, I, I think I, it's very safe to say the difference between this year and last year from a body type is very is night and day. And that's because this year Oregon was able to have a traditional full off season. And last year they didn't have one because of COVID. I think even the young quarterbacks are notable. Um, we've joked about it on the podcast before Robbie Ashford, great calves. Um, <laughs> that's via Jared Mack. Who's not on this podcast to defend himself. I don't know if he would, um, but, but, but you know, Robbie Ashford, I think physically impressive. Ty Thompson, upper body wise, is just like, geez, Louise, chill. Like, uh, this kid's 19. Again, talk about the, the add on muscle plan that he must be uh, part of. And then I think the one that's probably been 
the most significant in terms of improvement would be Jay Butterfield just because he came in and I wrote about this in a story that's on DuckTerry.com. You can go look at it. He came in at about 200 pounds. He was listed, by the way, by 247 Sports out of high school at about 180. I mean, talk about being a, uh, at six foot six, 180. He's now 220 pounds. Um, physically is certainly needs to add some weight, you know. Um, I think sitting with him, being around him, you see the, the similar body type and frame to Justin Herbert. I'm not making the comparison for anything other than that. I'm just saying that, like, physically you can see it. Um, sort of coming together, but he needs to gain 10, 15 pounds till he gets there. But I think even, I think physically Butterfield's a name just to, to note of like, this guy has added an awful lot of weight. I don't think he's like where he wants to be long-term because he told me he'd like to get to 230, 235. But to be at 220 after enrolling at 200 pounds about 18 months ago, I think that deserves a little bit of a shout out too from, for Jay. All right, let's jump to the next one from at Nat Fod. I see a lot of people talking about Johnny Johnson III along with the younger receivers, but I haven't heard much about Jalen Red during the offseason. I think of Red and Johnson as being equally capable. Am I wrong about that? Or is Jalen Red fall, uh, falling in the depth chart? Um, well, he's not practicing right now. I, I, I was just going to say, good question, Nat, because there hasn't been much talk about Jalen, but that's because he was not available for a, a significant portion of spring. We weren't at spring practice, so I can't tell you how much of spring he missed, but he did not take part in the spring scrimmage we watched back in like mid-April or in the spring game on May 1st. And through two days of spring practice, or sorry, fall practice that we've watched, he's been rehabbing, um, which means he's not full go, which means he's not going through these drills. So that if you're reading like a, a Rob Mosley practice report where he's getting to watch the 11-on-11, 7-on-7 action that we're not able to watch. You're not seeing Red's name mentioned. That's not because he's, like, totally fallen out of favor. It's because he's hurt right now. Um, I don't have clarity in terms of when he'll be a back. Shoot, I'm not going to be surprised if the first time we watch practice this week, we hope it's Tuesday, he's out there yeah. with you know working out because when practice was set to open or i should say last tuesday when we asked mar about injuries red's name was not mentioned to somebody who might miss the start of practice so um that's kind of going to be a short answer to this question nat because i don't think we have full clarity of where he stands i think based upon like like i took it one of the things i took significant from from last tuesday was Verone mckinley the third was asked to name which receivers are toughest for him to guard and the three he named were Johnny Johnson III, Jalen Red, and Devin Williams. And that's either A, a very political answer to throw out the older guys, or B, it's just the truth. And either way, Red has a lot of, I think, respect from his teammates. And, and I think we'll figure it into things. So can it be both? Like, can it be a very yeah. political answer and also yet the correct answer? Sure. I mean, I, 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 it probably is to a certain extent. I mean, I think if you gave most of these cornerbacks truth serum based upon what we've seen and heard, I, I would think Troy Franklin and, and Dante Thornton's names probably creep into that conversation a little more than absolutely people are letting on. But yeah, no, it can I mean, definitely be both. We know Franklin and Thornton are taking first team reps in practice. Like even when we're not there, we know that. So like, I would expect those two guys to play. We also know that Devin Williams has a history of there's so much more there we can get out of him type of feel from the coaches. And so, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, one week Devin Williams is unbelievable. And then the next week, Devin Williams goes down on maybe a ring or two, uh, you know, from a day-to-day depth chart perspective, just because 
he's a little inconsistent and that's kind of like what's preventing him from taking that next step to really becoming like a superstar receiver is the consistency aspect of it. So you know, I, I think your two most consistent receivers on this team, Johnny Johnson, Jalen red, I think Pittman is probably third, but I wouldn't include him with the first two because of injuries. And it's I not, I, well, that's why, the, I don't get why is Pittman above Williams in your mind. What has he shown that Williams hasn't? It consistency. I, 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 I think I would I would group them together, personally. Would you? Yeah, because I just like what Williams has more one hundred yard. I think Williams has more actual in game success than Pittman so but far. But that's not because but I I feel like that's because Pittman's just been hurt or in twenty twenty was out because of COVID protocol. Like yeah. I feel like when he plays, he produces. It's just he hasn't had enough opportunities to to produce because. He he has been out. Whereas this past year, like yeah, Devin Williams had three really good games in 2020, but he also had like no shows. And he, he he missed the Cal game. That's true. So if there's one that was out with injury, but no, I, I understand your point. I just like those two guys. To me, I just grouped them together in my in my own head. And that's know. fair. That's fair. But but I'm with you in general in terms of like. I think that's the thing you're battling here and we don't know going in. And that's why like, I really just want to, I really just want to watch like a full scrimmage and see who they're, what their actual two deep would look like right now. Cause I have no idea, which is crazy considering two guys are fully back that are starters and Williams and Pittman are some people that we think we know a lot about that we are going. I, I think we're going to like, unless things change and what we can watch Matt, I don't know if we're going to have a total clarity of what this wide receiver depth chart, offensive line depth chart, really looks like until they come out and tell us what their depth chart looks like which will be a, 10 days a sham before, of a depth chart as yeah it is. and that'll be 10 days before fresno state so, it'll have fours like, at every position yes it will and there'll be 14 receivers on it but like that's going to be more than what we've kind of i mean not that we don't know anything but it's True. a weird it's a weird time in terms of trying to parse through what we think we know at receiver just because there's so many guys and we also know that they're not in pads yet and they won't be no. until thursday so like I always try and shy away from asking Mario questions or crystal ball questions. Like the first couple of days of like, Hey, like, is this guy fighting for the twos or like, what's your, this backup position look like? Obviously quarterback is different, but every other group, it's just kind of like, what's the point? Cause they're still in shorts and t-shirts right now. Like, yeah. What are they evaluating? They're not. Yeah, they're install. They're 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 going through fundamental stuff right now. They're not in a position where every day they evaluate. Yes, but they're not in a position where it's hey, we're playing football and this is opportunity one of ten where you have a huge you know from a weighted like a test score that like what you do in these ten practices means a hell of a lot more than you do in the first six in shorts. Yeah, and Mario was asked, I think, day one of, like, what did you see from the offensive lineman? And was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, basically, like, we're in – I guess they're in what they call spider pads, which I'd never heard of, which is just basically no pad. I mean, it's a very, very light pad layer. So they're not really doing any – I mean, they're not full contact. They're not going to the ground. They're not even going to the ground on Thursday, by the way, when they do go full – when they go to uh, shells. And um, that's what Cristobal said. So, like, yeah, in terms of asking the coaches of, like, Who's who do we think is going to be the starting right tackle? Mario's probably going like I. I they were just kind of like pushing each other around softly today. I don't. I don't really know. Um, and so we'll, we'll have I think more clear ideas, or at least we'll 
the coaches should have a clear idea and it's up to them what they want to share with us further into camp. All right. Third one here from at bath salt fizzy last podcast. You said that Anthony Brown looked good throwing in practice. Does that include his deep ball? I know that he has struggled in the past hashtag odds and audibles. Well, the most notable miss on a deep ball would have been in the Fiesta bowl to Devin Williams. It feels like a very small sample size to say he struggles with the deep ball based on that pass. If you dig a little deeper into his time at Boston College, I think you find a little bit more of that. So I understand the point of the question um, in terms of Anthony throwing the ball downfield, which I'd imagine is going to be something they want to do quite a bit this year with the talent they have at receiver. In terms of what we've seen in practice, Matt, um, I have I'm I'm typically the defensive watching guy, and Jared is the offensive watching guy, and Matt's shooting photos and kind of doing both. Right. I, I have not watched the quarterbacks enough to really give an honest opinion on a podcast. Do, do, do you have you seen Anthony? I mean, have they even been throwing deep in practice thus far? A little I mean, bit. It's been, I mean, like- it's been very minimal. Um, I will say he is the most accurate of the four while we're watching. Uh, it really feels like whether it's a short ball or a long ball or an intermediate ball. Um, his balls are, are going where the receiver needs to be at. Whereas um, the other three are a little bit more sporadic with, with their throws. But I mean, it's two practices in we've, we've maybe seen five or 10 deep ball throws from Anthony Brown max. I, I don't feel like we can confidently come out and say like, Oh yeah, he's definitely improved on his deep ball, and and honestly, just and it's just because we haven't seen enough yet. Like, the sample size is too small. I don't, I don't, I don't feel comfortable. Yeah, claiming that with a very small sample size. And those passes have been on air when we've watched. So it's not like he's even throwing it thirty yards, forty yards downfield with a defensive back guarding the receiver. It's just a receiver running a, you know, a, whatever it is, a seam route or running a, a deep, you know, a deep route, a post or something like that. And he's you know throwing the ball out there. So. Fourth question from at SegaDuck underscore 75. This is a really interesting one, Matt. I'm curious to see how we're going to operate with it. Um, Sega asks, you have 10 points to give out for any Oregon game this season that will improve their performance a bit. You can give as many or a few points as you want for any game. How would you allocate those points for the regular season? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. I'm perceiving this question as if these are actual points you put on a scoreboard here. um, Yeah. But imagine. So, and I'm also perceiving this as if it's not like you can only give them in football scoring chunks. So it's not like it has to be three points or seven points or two points or six points. Like we can give these out kind of however the heck we want to, which is something I've never done or thought about doing. Um, I First off, I guess we're doing this before the season, but if we could do this kind of like in real time, I might just save all 10 of my points for the Ohio State game and see how many I need then. And just potentially use just the entire the entire allotment for that game if if needed, but um, I'm actually going to go a little different way here with this, Matt. And I'm going to just say, Ohio State, that outcome, I'm not worrying about it. I'm going to let that game be whatever that game's going to be, because ultimately for this Oregon team, I still think winning the college football playoff, like getting there, I think that's a bit of a reach this season. I think what's more important is winning the conference championship. So I'm saving my 10 points for conference games. And if I'm doing that, I'm going to be 
I'm going to be pretty even in terms of how I spread these out. And I'm going to give three points to three different games, the three games that I think are the most challenging, and then save a 10th point for another game. So here's what I was thinking <clears throat> when I read this question. I want to use three points for UCLA. I want to use three points for Washington. I want to use three points for Utah. And then the 10th point, I'm just going to use it for the rivalry game with Oregon State just to maybe add a little extra emphasis. I think that's a game they're going to win pretty handily, but coming off a year where you lose the rivalry game, I think I'd rather use it there than anywhere else. So I'm adding a field goal to three different games in case Oregon, you know, I think those are the three games that have the potential UCLA, Utah, Washington to be the closest games. So I want to give as much cover in those games as possible. So I'm giving three points for each of those. And then, yeah, throwing a, a 10th point, kind of just out there for good measure at the Oregon State game in case they need it. I don't think they will. I think they'll win that game fairly handily. But, hey, it's an extra point, and I'll throw it there. This is so frustrating because I, I have the exact same take. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> that's not good for podcasting. It's not good at all because I'm with you. I, ten, I, 10 points might be enough for Oregon to, to win that game at Ohio State. But it also might be the, what makes it a respectable loss. Instead of losing by 17, you lose by seven. So I'm not, I'm not wasting any money on that game. And I still think even if you lose, even if you go and lose by 14 points to Ohio State and they run the table uh, and they make the college football playoff as an undefeated team, and then Oregon goes 10 and, 10 and 0 or 11 and 0 the rest of the season and they, they win their conference championship game, at 11 and one, or excuse me, at 12 and one, and your only loss is to an undefeated Ohio State team. Yeah. yeah you got yeah, a good yeah. chance of get, still getting into the college football playoffs. Like, sure. Yeah. I don't care because you could argue, well, look what happened. Week two at Ohio State, we were on the road. We had a new quarterback. We had a new defensive coordinator. We had key pieces that were making their first starts at a couple, at a couple spots. Still, it's week two of the year. And you go in and, and you blast a USC for the, the third straight time, the second straight year in the Pac-12 championship game, and you win that game by 14, 17 points, and it's a butt kicking, it's going to be hard to keep a 12-1 and Oregon team out of the college football playoff. Now, like the thing that could hurt is if a Utah and a Washington and a UCLA and an ASU and a USC are not good. And whoever emerges out of that Pac-12 South is an eight and four, a nine and three type of a team that's not ranked. That's not going to help you, you know. So you need the conference to be, you know, a little better than it was the previous two years. But I'm with you. Don't worry about Ohio State. And and I put, I did the exact same thing you did. I put three on UCLA, three on Washington, three on Utah, and you add one game, one point for the Oregon State game, just because. If you're going to spend one, it's make sure you win that one. You don't want to lose to Oregon State two years in a row. It's your rival, what have you. And three points could be all the difference in, in winning some of these games. Uh, and, and if you can get three extra points, do it. And I, I'm with you. Don't worry about Ohio State. You want to win all the other games. Part of me also put one point against Fresno State because they bring back a lot of guys and knowing – Knowing that Oregon could be without a Jamal Hill, a DJ James for that game or for part of that game, like it's not a trap game, but it kind of is. Like Oregon should win that one by 17, 18, 19 points. But it also wouldn't surprise me 
if they win that game by 17 or 18 points only because they tack on a touchdown with two minutes to go in the fourth quarter, winning by 10. Yeah, I'm trying to think of where else, if, I, if, if we had to change our answers and attach a point to another game and it wasn't the Oregon-Oregon State game where I would go with it. I probably still want to keep it conference games, and I, I would maybe throw it at the Stanford game just because games in, down at Stanford kind of get weird. It's your first actually challenging conference game, I think. Um, they play Arizona at home prior to that, and I don't think that game is going to be tough. At Stanford could, in theory, be kind of challenging, so maybe throw a point there, but – yeah, I think I think we agree in terms of what the most challenging conference games are. And if you have this, again, this is kind of a fun hypothetical exercise from Sega of, of trying to figure out how you'd like to help the team in terms of scoring. I think that's a pretty safe spot is to spread it out amongst the toughest conference games just to make sure you can go undefeated there. If you take a loss to Ohio State, which, again, mind you, you could add 10 points and they might still lose that game. Um, then I think you just kind of you, you, you try to save those points and, and not worry about that one. On to the fifth one from at Louis Bond. Do you see COVID being a disruptor this season? Either games canceled or key players missing out. Hashtag odds and audibles. Uh, I mean, I hope it's not. Um, I think we all kind of are trying to live I in this reality. I think it could be, though. I know. I was just saying, we're just all living in this kind of reality of like, I oh, know we're not, things are better, things are changing, and it, it, there does seem to be some of the states of the schools Oregon plays in some of the teams in the conference, there seem to be rising case counts. And I think that has to have you at least a little bit concerned. I'm hoping we don't get to games being canceled. Um, one of the things that did stand out from Clive Kov's opening statement now, and that was almost two weeks ago. Um, I mean, I can't remember the exact percentage on the stats, Matt, you might have it better, but it was like 80% of players on six different schools had been fully vaccinated. And it was two thirds of that was 80 two two thirds of the conference. So eight of the 12 or seven of the 12, I think okay. um, is 80%. And then half of that, of that group was at 90%. Okay. Those percentages are very encouraging for not having games canceled because right. in theory, that would mean you're probably pretty close to being, above the threshold to have to cancel a game on players being fully vaccinated. And if we believe the vaccines will stop you from, you know, contracting the virus, which again, there are, there is still a little bit of wiggle room in terms of the um, efficacy of this. I think there's, you know, it, it's not a hundred percent. I'll put it that way. But if we're to assume like, let's just say hypothetically it kind of is then like uh, those teams you would think shouldn't have problems canceling games. Um, right now players missing games, key players missing games. That again, I think is determined on who's vaccinated. And again, again, no, we're never going to know. We're never going to have a list handed to us of like, here's the guys vaccinated, here's who's not, because that's breaking HIPAA. That's and that's just kind of not really what you want to go around doing. Period. Just because this is private information, personal decisions, etc. But there's no reason why a player, just like another, just like there's no reason if I wasn't vaccinated, I am. But if I wasn't vaccinated, I could go contract the virus at any point, and there's no reason why. You know, a starting quarterback on a Pac-12 team, if he's not vaccinated, couldn't do the same. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're certainly going to be in a year where we do see players miss time. We could see teams miss time if they are below a certain threshold of vaccinations or just through bad luck. But I, I, I don't think we're, you know, last year we saw so many games get canceled. I, I don't think we're going to see that. Do I think we're going to be regularly seeing players missing time? I kind of suspect that that'll be something that, that, 
carries on throughout the season. I'm not right. going to say Oregon's going to be the team that's constantly missing players, but I just think it would be naive to say that it's going to be a full season where every school in the Pac-12 has a perfect attendance record for every single player from a COVID perspective, because I just think that's that's impossible to accomplish right now. Yeah, it, it's going to be really difficult to see a college football season, and I think a, a sports season in any level, whether that's pro football, college football, high school football, pro basketball, college basketball, high school basketball, you go down the list of sports, it's still going to be a factor. There's still going to be, I mean, shoot, the very first summer league game this year for NBA was postponed because of COVID. The Washington mm-hmm. Wizards could not field a healthy team. And the, so the very first game of, of the entire summer league in Las Vegas was postponed. And it was because of COVID. You know, we, we know that, you know, some schools – Arizona State, they're saying if, if you're not vaccinated, you're not traveling to an away game because we don't want any kind, you know, we want to mitigate as much risk as we possibly can of contracting the virus and it spreading within the program. And so it's your right to choose not to get vaccinated. But if, but because of that, you, because of your decision, which you're 100% allowed to make, we have to make decisions. And we don't want to risk the entire team catching it because you're not vaccinated. So you don't get to go to away games. We can, we can, we can help you control your environment here at home, but we can't do as good of a job when we hit the road. And so it wouldn't surprise me if that becomes a thing too, where a lot of schools are going to go out and say like, look, it's your right. You get to choose what you want to do from a vaccination standpoint. We'll do our best of our ability to, to allow you to have as normal of, a, of, a, of an experience as you possibly can when we're at home. But when we hit the road, things change. It gets harder. And, you know, only vaccinated players get to go. Brief aside before we move on to the last one, um, a poster on Duck Territory posted yesterday, this is just still on the vaccination thing, that Ole Miss's football team led by Lane Kiffin has a 100% vaccination record. Yeah which is absolutely stunning because uh, the state of Mississippi has the lowest vaccination rate um, of any in the country. I think it's like 35%, but a hundred percent of the football players at one of the two major schools has, have been vaccinated. Uh, Just tip of the cap to Kiffin for that. Cause that's, that's just straight up impressive um, in a state like that, where I'm sure there's a ton of blowback. And obviously I'm guessing that there was probably more than just a little bit of um, feedback in terms of what they need the players to do. I don't think this was like, a, maybe it was less than optional, but either way to get to a hundred percent vaccination rate in that state with, I think all the obstacles going on down there um, just thought that was notable and, and worth pointing out as we talk about vaccination rates in the PAC 12. And one thing we should ask Mario maybe this week is if he has an idea of Oregon's vaccination rate, not specifically who is and isn't vaccinated, but um, what percentage of the team has, has gotten their doses. All right. Last one from at PAC surfer or sorry surf rider the ceiling could be a, a higher than hood but where should we hope the floor is for anthony brown running this offense Tracy. okay i think i figured it out eric what could he be just meaning good because g is right next to h okay okay this is we were talking in the pre-show off air about this about who hood might be and i was trying to figure out if that was like a morehead quarterback previously I think Matt's right. I think he's just trying to say good. So let's read it again if that's, if that's what we think it is. The ceiling could be higher than good, 
but where should we hope the floor is for Anthony Brown running this offense? Trace McSorley, first three games of the Shuck era? Question mark. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, so yeah, let's just assume it's not that Hood's not some quarterback that we're missing that was, uh, you know, the ceiling for a Moorhead quarterback. And assuming it's it's good, what, what are we expecting from Brown? Is basically the question here, um, and the the way the offense is run. Speaking with Oregon players and even Moorhead on Saturday, um, this offense I think is going to be a lot. You're going to see a lot more components than what we saw last year. So, just from what the offense can offer, that's going to be advanced. I don't know, like I'm not going to put a percentage point on it or anything, but like that's going to be further along than what Tyler Shuck was dealing with. So there's advantage Anthony Brown, and then in terms of his comfort and I guess experience in the offense, Brown now has more time than Shuck ever had working on it. Chuck only had four spring practices in a really bizarre offseason where they're on again, off again, and they came into fall camp and they were even on again and off again, missing scrimmages. Like Brown has, Brown was there throughout, by the way, all of last offseason, even though it was a weird one and fall and the season. So in terms of having a leg up, I, I think, I think it should be better at the ceiling, at least than what we saw from Shuck from three games, because he's got more experience in his offense. And I think the offense is, you know, going to be implemented. Uh, in a way that you see a lot more of it available to him. So, yeah, I think so. Uh, is he going to be like Trace McSorley? I'd have to go look at McSorley's stats to really determine if that's a fair comparison or not. But I, I think Brown's ceiling as a quarterback is is a all-conference sort of caliber player in this offense. And so, like, you know, maybe that's not McSorley level quite there. I know he was an all-conference quarterback, and maybe, maybe he was – all-American by sub-publication, so maybe I don't think it's quite that good, but I certainly think he's capable of leading this this offense to a very successful season and in the process becoming like an all-conference quarterback himself uh, in the best case. Would it, would it be fair to say, like, I'm trying to think of a quarterback that Oregon – like. I kind of look at Kellen Clemens, his senior year. Hmm. Like, certainly good enough for all conference. Maybe not the best quarterback in the in in the conference. Certainly a guy that you know improves his draft stock and sees his name get called at some point. Uh, maybe not as high as Kellen Clemens because he did go, I think, in the second round, um, second or third round. But you look at him and think. Maybe he's not physically the best guy in the league. Maybe he's not, he doesn't have the highest potential in the league. Uh, maybe his stats aren't the best in the league, but he's number two or number three in like every category. Like, mm, yeah, like clear cut, all conference guy, but it's also clear cut, not the best guy in the conference. Is that yeah, fair? Yeah. I think, I think that that's kind of like, for me, that's like the expectation. I think Keaton Slovis. And maybe Jaden Daniels, maybe even some of the quarterbacks that are younger in this conference have higher ceilings than Anthony Brown. And I think Slovis and, and maybe even Daniels. It seems like other people are a lot lower on Daniels than I am, and maybe that's just because I watched one really good game of his last from 2019 when he beat Oregon and had his best collegiate game. So maybe I've, I've warped on that. But I still group him with Slovis. I just think those two players are, are probably more physically gifted or, or talented, even though they're younger. 
than Brown. So yeah, I don't think he's going to come out and be first team all conference or be packed. I'd be floored if the season ends and he's packed to player of the year. I, I don't think that happens. Yes. But I'm not going to be at all surprised if he's like second team quarterback. Correct. And that there's hopefully more Oregon players on that team. And maybe the reason Anthony Brown's not second team quarterback is just because it doesn't seem like coaches really like voting for Oregon's players. <laughs> for, for whatever reason, you read into that as you like. Oh, I can tell you why. Because it's a revolving door of uh, back and forth pettiness. Um, Altman, or not Altman. Sorry, I'm trying to. T- t- Oregon just landed a five star verbal commitment in basketball. So I'm, I'm doing two on things at thing. once here. Focus on podcasts. <laughs> um, I also just ball and his coaching it, staff, they certainly like to talk when they win. And they don't do it, though, during the season. Not, not that often. But a lot of other people have piped off at them, you know, during the year or leading up to the season, most notably Jimmy Lake and the Washington Huskies program. Um, but they, And then USC is probably second. But one, when they win and they secure the conference championship, it's like the floodgates open. And Oregon staff just goes nuts on the shade and the marketing and all of that. And I'm here for it. I'm 100% here for it. I love it. I wish more teams would act this way. Um, and then it just kind of, okay, well, they were kind of jerks about winning, so we're not going to vote their players uh, for all conference, which then entails the, co- the coaching staff. Well, look, we didn't have good players, so you know we're going to just rub it in your faces even more that we won the conference type of thing. It's just like, it's a snowball. It keeps happening and happening, getting bigger and bigger because it keeps going back every time. Well, I'll tell you what, it's really fun going through it every year and, and being extremely disappointed as we read the all-conference teams. But you're 100% right. It's, it's definitely – there's definitely some bad blood between some of the coaching staffs in this conference at Marta Cristobal. And kind of the irony of it a little bit is when we go to Pac-12 Media Day, everybody treats him like they love him. So I don't know. Like there's, there's like some weird, di- like weird dynamics going on, certainly behind the scenes socially within the conference. From a coaching perspective, that was not a question, but more of just a random aside at the end of the podcast that I hope you enjoyed. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's certainly interesting. I, I, I think getting back to the question at hand, um, I, I kind of think the first three games of Tyler Shuck era were good. I also kind of think like there's still a lot more there that Anthony Brown could be even be better at. Well, I mean, I just think we haven't seen the offense do like we haven't really. I, That's I don't the know. thing. Like we don't just, really know how good this offense is going to be. Like isn't part of you kind of expect like there's a there's a part of me and it's probably a decent part of myself this is a weird way of talking about yourself that just kind of thinks like this could be really awesome offensively and with the talent they have and with Moorhead being somebody that is so highly regarded and even seeing the results and watching some of what Penn State did and to a lesser degree what Mississippi State did and I say lesser degree because not that it was a disaster and they still had winning records but you know, he wasn't exactly retained. I, I just am really excited by what this could be. And so I think to myself that 2021 could be the introduction to the whole 
you know, kitten caboodle or whatever the term is from yeah. uh, the offense. And Joe Moorhead, we could start seeing some of that. And then going forward, when you have some of these younger, talented guys who are going to be in this offense for a while, you can really see this thing start to click. So, I, I, I think there's a lot of optimism towards this season. And I, I think the fact that we didn't have the full offense to, to judge and to break down and to look at for Tyler Shuck is – Notable because maybe Tyler Shuck could have done a lot more if, if, the, if the entire yeah. game plan was was in. And I certainly think we're going to see a lot more from Oregon's offense this year, in part because Tyler Shuck's confidence fell apart at the end of the year last year, and in part because the offense is going to be more in, in depth. There's going to be more to look at, to prepare for, to, to worry about if you're facing this, this team and it's going to, that's going to make it better too. So there's a lot to love, uh, to like about, um, this Oregon offense. I think the potential is through the roof. I think for Anthony Brown, I think you and I are in agreement here. We don't think he's going to be the best quarterback in the conference. We'd be pretty shocked if it reaches that point, but we also wouldn't be shocked if he's like the second or third best guy. And so I think that's a very safe and, a very respectable look at the potential that Anthony Brown has. Um, and I think it'd be a big disappointment, Eric, if he's not viewed as a top four quarterback in this conference. Yeah, we did that. We did the, uh, the rundown, gosh, probably three weeks ago of the PFF rankings for quarterbacks in the country. And Oregon was not one of the top four at quarterback. I think they're closer to seven or eight. And uh, that's just not the way, it should be at this program. And I think you'd be very disappointed if the season concludes and you go Brown, not only isn't a first or second team all conference guy, he's not a third team guy. Maybe he's not even honorable mention. That would be something that would be, I think a little bit, that would probably, if that's the case, I would, I would assume the season didn't go the way folks think the season should go. Right. Right. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Autzen Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for submitting your questions. And, and hey, you kind of got a little bit of some news, too. Uh, Oregon landed a verbal commitment from a basketball perspective, from a five-star. Uh, so if you're listening to this show, go check that out as well. You might as well. You might as well. For Eric and myself, you've been listening to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.